advice. Today's episode contains frank discussions of death. We will be including trigger warnings, obviously now, verbally, right before we talk about it, and also there will be timestamps in the description. This section will continue until the end of the episode, so once you reach that point, if that's a triggering topic for you, you're not going to miss anything else after that point. And with that, on with the episode. Hi, welcome to Poetically Speaking. We're your co-hosts, Eliana Horning and Kendall Wack. Thanks so much for joining us today. We're so glad you're here. We are so glad you're here. So for today's episode, we are going to be talking about something very dear and personal to both Ellie and myself, which is Stan Twitter. All about <laughs> Stan Twitter. Yeah. Lots, lots to go, lots to talk about here, uh, because that's how we met, how I don't, I think we tried to figure out how long it was, and we don't know, because I scrubbed that account off the internet. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Yeah, but it was a while ago. It's been probably five or six years, maybe more. I don't remember. At the least. Yeah, it's, it was a, it was a Twitter friendship. Uh, Shout out Dodie. Yeah, shout out Dobby Stan Twitter. (laughs) Woo, shout out Dobby Stan Twitter. But yeah, that's how we met, and we're going to be talking about all sorts of aspects of it. And Kendall has the first poem of the episode, and it's, what is it about, Kendall? Yeah, it's so funny that you asked that, because today's poem actually comes from a book of poetry about Harry Styles and dedicated to Harry Styles. The entire book of poetry is about Harry Styles, believe it or not. The title of the book is Gold Light Shining by B.B. Ashley. I wasn't able to get a copy of the book itself in time for this podcast because it's sold out everywhere. It's super popular. And also, Ashley is a UK-based poet, so it's already difficult enough to get UK-based books in America um, when they're not ebooks. Anyway, that beside the point, I did get a copy of one poem in particular entitled Harry, but the title is in Japanese characters. And the poem is as such. You found something peculiar being anonymous in Japan. Even with the katakana of your name embroidered onto soft hoodie fabric, you let the Shiba Inu lick the residential plants hiding from the residential air conditioning unit. You jog the yellow tiled steps in yellow striped socks. You push aside the painful stage of growing out curls with gravity in a place that seemed to stretch sideways in all seasons. Of all the moonstruck moments, this is the one I'd, I'd most like to meet. So this is a really interesting poem for a lot of reasons. I think just from a craft standpoint, there's a lot of really great images. I think the title, I don't know. I have a bone to pick with the title, but it's mostly, I wish the title was a little bit more creative. Like, yeah, it it visually looks really nice, which I know you guys can't see, but it looks great. Japanese characters as a non-Japanese speaker always look interesting, but like translating that and it just says Harry was a little bit like, oh, okay. Right. I also have a little bit of a bone to pick with the title, too, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think there is just, like, again, I think imagery is really the strong point of this poem. I particularly like, you pushed aside the painful stage of growing out curls with gravity. Like, that's really interesting. Like, if you're familiar at all with what he looks like, he went through this really weird phase where his hair was just very long and curly. In my brain, he kind of looked like a basset hound, you know? (laughs) long ears that's what it looked like to me so that like painful stage of growing out curls with gravity is just kind of interesting like he just let it hang i just thought that was a really great image no i agree and like i actually really liked 
the line after in a place that seemed to stretch sideways in all seasons. I don't know. There's just something about that. We love an alliteration moment with the S's here. Absolutely. Yeah. I just like the idea of like something stretching sideways. I don't know. I just it's 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 a good sound like this is a this is a poem that really works read aloud for sure oh absolutely I think this poem is also very interesting too because it does bring out a lot of the things that we're going to be discussing with stan culture obviously this poem is really well written and the book itself has been really well received especially by Harry Styles fans but I think the concept alone is kind of odd of writing a whole book about someone that you don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Like I said, no hate at all to the author, to the poet. They have a great collection that is enjoyed by all. It's well-renowned from the research that I did. They did a great job. I just personally think that it, it is a little bit odd, and particularly in this poem, I think it, it goes to show the way that Stan, like, stands just see themselves as intimately knowing someone just because of what they have put forth publicly. Like, this poem was very, very intimate, and if you didn't tell me this was about Harry Styles, I would have believed that this was about a lover. Right, no, I agree. There's something very interesting about writing in the second person about someone that you don't know and have never met. Like, the second person is a is a pretty intimate, pretty personal place to write from because it's supposed to, you could easily have it be supposed to be sort of like a letter to this person almost. But there's also, I don't know, there's also something deeply personal about it. Like, it's, it's, it feels a lot like this person feels like they can see, the speaker feels like they can see sort of like the inner monologue of Harry Styles, which is really interesting. Definitely. And I think there's also just that attention to detail, like the detail details in this piece are very much the details that a lover would have for their lover. It's crazy just how much these fans pay attention to the person that they're fans of, or stands of, I should say. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. This one isn't super analytical, I would say, but I do think that it leads us into the topic well, so we can just go ahead and dive into the world of stan culture. Absolutely. Okay, so I think what would be helpful to start our discussion off with would be just kind of a general idea of what stan culture is, what a stan is, just for those who might not know. I'm assuming that most of our listeners already know, but for those of you who don't, I guess stan culture is kind of a specific form of fan culture that I think has gotten more popular with the broadening of the internet. Particularly, Twitter is the one thing that stands are attributed to, although they could be on any platform now, Instagram, TikTok, all of those. Um, but I think Twitter is the one that most people are most commonly known to be standing on. I would just say that stan culture also tends to lean into obsession rather than more popular, like celebrity culture, just sort of liking someone, liking a celebrity, but not really making it. Not It doesn't really bleed into other areas of your life. I would say with stan culture, it's sort of, the implication is that it's all consuming. And I believe that most people attribute it to a specific Eminem song. I think it's Stan by Eminem, and the song talks about a fan who's like a crazy stalker, essentially. So it's not a not a super flattering 
definition or depiction, but a lot of people self-identify as stands. So there's something interesting to be said there about this really not flattering definition, but people choosing to identifying it, identify with it anyway. No, absolutely. I mean, we used to identify with it, so I don't really know if I can judge. Um, yeah, it's hard to pass judgment when you were like in it. Like I was in it. Oh, I was, oh. I was in it. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know, I think also when I'm talking about stand culture, it is, I think primarily when people think of stands, it's one particular thing at a time. Like it's, you know, like obviously people have more than one interest, but when it comes to stand, it's more of, it, it, it almost feels like a hyperfixation in that way. Like it's a, it's like a primary thing you stand like we were doty stands you know that bled over into related artists like tessa violet or orla gartland Lauren. yes oh my god i love I orla love gartland, orla gartland. I, would, oh. I would die for orla gartland i love her we're not doing a good job of like saying we're like recovered stands yeah well we don't have the twitter and i think that's uh i think that's the most important part is not being yes. active on the twitter anymore yeah yeah for sure but yeah there is that aspect of stands sort of having one primary piece of media or person or group that they like a lot and they spend a lot of time talking about writing fan fiction of course which is a whole other ball game to talk about (laughs) but yeah no definitely and i think what's interesting about this is just because of that hyperfixation Stands just develop the most unbalanced parasocial relationship with the person that they're standing because when when you invest that much time into someone, into knowing every detail about them, like I knew stands who like knew what Doty ate for breakfast. Like right. just stuff like that. When you when you spend so much time getting invested in a person, I think it's hard to not feel like you know them on an intimate level, even though you don't know them at all. You you know what they've shared with you publicly, but the reality is that most stands are never going to meet their idol face-to-face. And if they do, right. it's going to be in like a, well, assuming that the person they're standing is musical, it might be in like a concert setting. You know what I mean? So it's it's not like an intimate thing where you become friends with this person, even though you feel very deeply that you have a friendship and a bond with them because they're interacting with your posts. They're acknowledging you, they're retweeting, they're commenting, whatever it is, whatever you get from them fuels this idea in your head that they are your friend. They are your pal. You guys are on a closer level than other people are. And you might be from like distant strangers, but at the end of the day, you are still a stranger on the internet and this person has a whole separate life away from you, you know? So yeah, there's definitely that really interesting portion of like a lot of stands almost center their lives around this one person. And like like you said, uh, this person that they're standing has an entire life outside of the whatever, whatever thing they do. Like if we're talking again about music, they have a complete life outside of performing and writing music or whatever 
Something that I found really interesting also while being involved in Stan Twitter, and like, I still notice it now on Twitter, but I'm not, I think the only reason I really know what it means is because I was on Stan Twitter for a while, is the idea of like putting a date that you were noticed or a date that you met your idol, putting that in your bio. Sometimes I like, I would sometimes even see people put it in like their display name. So it was like, it would come up when they would tweet something or reply to something. And I just think there's something really interesting about having not only a fully dedicated account, but also keeping track of the number of times that you interact with this person. So you sort of, on the one hand, have this like really strange sort of close relationship with this person in your head. But at the same time, you're acknowledging that you have a very finite number of interactions with this person. Like if you have, you know, like noticed by Harry, such and such date, and like maybe it happened two or three times that's still two or three times and you're acknowledging that it's quite limited and he probably doesn't remember because you know millions of other people so there's just something really interesting about that sort of it's almost like an oxymoron putting that that like noticed thing in your bio because at once you are making these interactions far more important than they are and you're also acknowledging that it's not like a genuine relationship no, I, I totally agree. And I think there's actually something that you touched on that I find very interesting is that th- there's a self-importance that comes to the people who get noticed, especially if they get noticed more times. And I've noticed that there's also a hierarchy of people on Stan Twitter based on the amount of times you get noticed. Like I could name a handful of people still. It's been like six plus years and I could still name the handful of people that got noticed more often and had more followers because of that. And they had egos because of how often they were recognized by the person they stand, even though I'm sure that stand the person that they're standing doesn't even know who they are. And if they do, they have a vague idea of who they are based on their social media profile. Like I have rarely met an artist who genuinely knows these people who are documenting every interaction they have and who are also gaining clout from those interactions. Yeah, it's definitely really interesting to have sort of like a community of people who, as we'll we'll touch on later, people in sin communities are often social outcasts. So it's interesting that even within a community of social outcasts, like we still form hierarchies. We still form like, oh, this is the top dog because she's been noticed X number of times. And we follow her because if we're friends with her, maybe we'll get noticed or whatever. It's it's a very interesting phenomenon, I think. Oh, absolutely. And I think also when you mention the fact that there are a lot of people who are social outcasts, I think this also contributes to the way that the parasocial relationships are formed between for the person sure. that they stand and, and the stand themselves. Like, for example, I don't know if you've seen these, but Brittany Broski has posted several TikToks responding to comments on her unhinged videos that we all have come to love, where people oh, are yes. essentially being like, nurse, she's out again all the time. And I personally think that's a funny joke when I'm saying it to my friends, you know? Right. Like, I think, I think there has to be a certain level of relationship involved before you can start making jokes about someone like that. And just because Britney shows so much of us to the world, so much of her to the world, that doesn't mean that we know her like that. And she's made videos commenting on how uncomfortable she is 
when people in the comments are saying things like that because without that relationship established, they're essentially just bullying her. And it's making her extremely uncomfortable because these people feel like they know her enough to make fun of her when they don't. And there's just so many boundaries that are constantly crossed when it comes to Stan Twitter. Like I can also think about people like at concerts being disrespectful of the artists because of the parasocial relationship. Like, for example, I don't know if I'm sure you heard about this, but like Mitski had to ask fans to stop screaming mommy in between songs or in the middle of songs because their stands from TikTok felt like they knew her one way or the other when they actively didn't. And so there's there's this level of like, you are so obsessed with the person that you start becoming disrespectful to them because you think that you are closer to them than you are. And so you're crossing boundaries without even understanding that there are boundaries in place. Right, oh my gosh, yeah, no, like saying that you're, you you have this strange relationship to the point of disrespect is so interesting because it's absolutely right and it it sort of like extends outwards to just i don't know maybe maybe it's there's like a broader sense of like a parasocial relationship in that like you interact with people online maybe it's someone you've never seen before but sometimes people feel comfortable just saying things like, you know, nurse, she's out again, or like, this should have stayed in the drafts, or like, oh, I'm afraid to tell you this, or whatever. It's like, it's really prominent on TikTok. I don't know if it's as prominent on Twitter, but like, complete strangers, not even like established followers, whatever that means, but like, not even, you know, like friends on TikTok where you follow each other back are just, just some rando sees a video that they find cringy, or, or like, says that your makeup is ugly, or whatever. It's like, really weird that we have this sort of there's like no boundary and it feels it feels like because the online space is so different than an in-person space that boundary of like basic respectability and sort of thinking about what you say before you say it is not there oh absolutely and like tiktok is definitely the worst of this I mean, Twitter comments are always awful to go through. I never like to go through Twitter comments, but TikTok comments in particular are so vile. And I know how I felt getting a comment or two like that on a, a video that I've posted. I'm not popular on TikTok, you know, like I just I just have my account that I, I should post on. But when I get those comments, I know how it makes me feel. But then it's like, imagine that that's like every other comment that you're getting because you just happen to be a popular creator. Right. It's it's maddening and like, I don't know anyone who has the mental health or the capacity to deal with that, to get this constant hate from the people that say they like you. Like, I mean, it's also from trolls, but like, even so, it's like you have this group of people who say that they follow you so intensely that they start bullying you. It's weird. It's, it's it really is. It's odd behavior. It's it's yeah. really odd behavior. Also, speaking of Stan's bullying, I think something that's very interesting is the way that Stan culture has become so pervasive in our country that it's actually done things. Like it, it is a movement. It is a cultural movement at this point, to the point that like there are being articles like academic articles being written about the psychology of stan twitter and there are so many examples in the news of how stands are behaving things that they are creating and i think something that's worth noting is the way that stands 
can, and not to be cheesy, but like they can use their power for good or for bad. And because when you have such a mass group of people like unified uh, under someone, they can unify for or against someone as well. And the repercussions are serious. That being said, some of the good things they have done have been great. I think specifically of K-pop stands who used fan cams to crash police sites. Like there was an iWatch app in Dallas in May 2020 that the K-pop stands just sent fan cam after fan cam after fan cam when the police were looking to identify protesters, which also a cab. Anyway, so true. So it was really great when they crashed that entire site and unified against the police, which is what we need to see in today's day and age. That was really great. And then also another notable example that I remember off the top of my head was when all of the K-pop stands took to TikTok and then spread the link for one of Trump's rallies. So everyone got the free tickets. Like they, they were predicting like thousands of people would show up to this event. And then the stadium was like empty because they were all just stands dicking around. (laughs) Yeah, I think there's something to be said about sort of like mob mentality is generally, which is what this is, like standing online is mob mentality to a certain extent, but it's, it's often construed as a bad thing. And I think in a lot of cases it is, but you know, sometimes, sometimes angry mobs have good points. Sometimes angry mobs are going after things that are absolutely worth going after. So it is, it is really interesting to see uh, groups of people. And it's like, because of, again, this is something we'll talk about a little bit later, but because of the sort of like strange nature of Stan Twitter, you don't even know these people, right? Like this could, these could be like, it's, it's like an army of like preteens. Or it could be an army of like 30 year olds, you know, like you have no idea. It's just so interesting, this like anonymity that brings like this weird rude boldness at the same time that it brings a sense of solidarity among people who otherwise wouldn't have had any. Oh, absolutely. It unifies the most unlikely of people. I mean, like obviously everyone anticipates that the the tween girlies are going to be doing their fanship, but you'll be surprised how many stands are like actual adults. Like, sir, right. please go pay your bills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I literally, I think I came across like a Larry Stylinson fan in our year, the year of our Lord, 2022, a Larry Stylinson fan who was like in her 30s. And I was like, babe, you gotta stop. You have to let this go. For the uninitiated, Larry Stylinson is the ship name of Louis Tomlinson, who was in One Direction, and Harry Styles, who was also in One Direction. They were. It's like it's like a whole thing. Like people still think that they are in a secret relationship and being kept apart by record labels. I'm like, y'all gotta give it up. <laughs> literally, guys. It's been years, guys. Please, guys. I am. I'm literally begging Please. you to use your Please. brain cells for anything else. I'm begging you because you could be so powerful. So powerful. <laughs> Why are you coming up with conspiracy theories about two men who aren't even confirmed gay? Literally. Please. It's, it is Please. odd behavior. But it is. speaking about, I can't stop saying odd behavior. Side note. It's cause it is though. Because it's like, it's a good, it's a good word. It's, it's really just, I don't know how else to describe stan culture other than odd behavior. But anyway, yeah. speaking of the odd behavior of stands and the anonymity of their actions, there's also been some really, really bad 
things that have happened because of stands. Like I know in particular, there was a writer who was receiving racist and violent threats because they said something about Ariana Grande. Like particularly Ariana Grande, K-pop, Nicki Minaj stands, like the biggest standums, like you cannot speak a word against who they stand or else they will dox you in a second, in a literal second. It's like you are arguing so hard for someone who doesn't even know you to the point that you are putting other strangers' safety at risk because they disagree with you. And I think right. that's where it's like these, the stand culture gets so obsessive that you just forget how to act like a normal human being because all of this behavior is justified in stand communities. It's normal to spend your entire paycheck on stand, like the merch of the person you stand. It's right. normal to not sleep every night because you're up checking their, their status when they're in a different country on tour. Like it's normal to not talk to anyone except for the other people that you are surrounding yourself with that you don't even know because of the one thing that you have in common which is a like for this particular person group or artist right no this this mob mentality is something that i've always found really interesting because even as like a non-stan twitter user at this point like i'm seeing just regular regular twitter users say something about like BTS or some other K-pop group and they're literally like they will literally preface it with like don't attack me like I'm I'm just I'm just saying this like I'm not I don't dislike this group or whatever I'm just saying I'm stating something like the fact that that happens is so insane because you literally have people who will just like be searching up the the name of the person or group that they stand just to like find hate tweets no, absolutely. But I think there's an important point about how you don't know the person you're standing. And so it comes to a point where when you get so deep into stand culture, anything this person does, you can find a justification for it. Like right. it is it is insane how far a stand will follow the person that they stand, even when their name is being dragged through the mud with like actual allegations of any kind that are backed with evidence like they will argue away any fault of the person that they stand because they are so blind in their following right there's this sort of they can do no wrong attitude which i think is really interesting and it's like even sometimes even these people will like apologize and actively try to like combat what these people are saying like i don't know i know that our favorite trans woman creator i forget her last name but dylan you know dylan yeah i love dylan lovely we all love dylan i love her so much but she posted something about being a trans trailblazer and a trans elder came and and corrected her essentially was like i i love your content i understand what you're saying and i'm really glad that you're being recognized for your talents and your hard work but this is offensive to me as a trans trailblazer and people were sending this woman hate. Like, this woman is, like, in her 70s. She has suffered a ridiculous amount because of her position as a trans woman, an elder trans woman. She has, you know, we're, we're just now coming into a place where arguably trans people are accepted, you know, disregarding the record number of anti-trans legislation passed in this past year. But just the fact that people who are literally supporting Dylan Mulvaney, that's her name, 
Yes, 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 yes. Dylan Mulvaney, like, who is a very prominent trans woman creator, and the fact that you would then go on to another trans woman page who is not attacking her, who is simply trying to educate her as an el- like as a trans elder, is crazy. Like the fact that you are doing something in this person's name, and Dylan was actively saying, "Stop doing this." Yeah, she did not want it. Yeah, they they were like, "Please stop sending hate." And I, right. I thought that Dylan's response was incredibly mature and appropriate to the situation, and and hopefully that helped the stands realize that like. This was an educating moment, but no, there's definitely that blindness, that like empty blindness of like, you are so obsessed with this one person that you are not acknowledging the fact that by following this person to a T in their fault, whatever, which obviously Dylan admitted and like took the opportunity to grow, but like you are following them to a T that you are attacking the same exact type of person. Like... Right. How are you standing a trans woman so hard that you're attacking another elder trans woman? Right. People were being transphobic to her, too. Like, saying really awful transphobic things. And I'm like, huh? What am I doing? Literally, how can you even call yourself a fan of the person? Because if you like Dylan's content, you would know that you shouldn't behave that way. Like, what about Dylan radiates please go argue with other trans people because I'm the only person that's a valid trans person and this other trans woman who actually was a trailblazer deserves to be hated and misgendered because she wanted to correct me in something that I said in a kind way. Like, it's just insane. It really is. There's just like, this is sort of not a deviation, but this is a little bit different than the Dylan situation because not so much that this guy like messed up in this situation, but another TikTok creator Axel Weber, the Juilliard kid, right? He was prepping to, he moved to New York. He sort of allegedly, because apparently he actually has quite wealthy parents, but he allegedly sort of dropped everything, moved to New York, lived in a really small studio apartment, the whole nine yards. And his whole shtick was, I'm going to audition for Juilliard. I have an audition booked for Juilliard and I'm going to get in. I'm such a good actor. He also like admitted from the start that he didn't have any experience, which is the really interesting thing to me, because, like, he gained a really rabid fan base. Like, he was having not even just, like, a rabid fan base, but, like, brands were reaching out to him and being like, good luck, Axel, like, it'll do great, or whatever. Charlie Puth, at one point, like, duetted his videos. This was after, Charlie Puth duetted him after saying, like, after he was rejected from Juilliard, saying, oh, they didn't give me a callback either. Like, you don't need a big school, disregarding the fact that Charlie Puth went to Berkeley, but don't, don't worry about that. Don't worry about That's that. It's fine. <laughs> uh, but it's like, his fans were so rabid for this person, they'd never seen him act. He hadn't, he, he hadn't posted, like, any evidence that he knew what he was doing at all. He just said, I'm an actor. He was a, he had cute white boy syndrome, you know, like, he was a, he was a cute white guy. And that's all it takes. So he had these really rabid stands gunning for this guy who they swore up and down had all of this crazy talent that they didn't have any evidence of. And then when he tried out for Juilliard, using an unpracticed British accent, might I add, I don't, I don't know what he thought he was doing there, but it was so bad that he, he sort of like, he wasn't so bad. He did not get a callback. I don't want to like mischaracterize this guy, but he didn't get a callback 
and his fans were so angry about it that they were swarming Juilliard's Instagram page. What do you, first of all, what do you think that's going to do? No, literally it's, what? <laughs> it's like literally probably like an 18-year-old intern running that account. Literally like, an unpaid intern who's just constantly reading the worst things. And it got to the point where they were also like swarming a literal obituary post of a woman who had, had been a staff member there. And they were flooding the comments of this post as well. And it was like, this is literally in memoriam of a woman who died recently. And we're swarming the posts. Like, oh, let Axel into Juilliard. The intern is not going to let you into Juilliard. And the intern especially can't let you into Juilliard based on a hate comment on a memoriam post. It's truly like, and he, and he actively opposed it, not as strongly as he should have I think he sort of was like no stop but um he he opposed it and he said like stop doing this like this is I didn't ask you to do this I didn't get in and that's okay people fail auditions all the time people don't get callbacks so it's just like the fact that again the people you stand oftentimes like will fight back against these really rabid stands and these really rabid people going after certain groups or people is is wild to me it's like you're supporting this person to the point that they're literally telling you to stop and that's i i, I think there has to be a reevaluation of sort of what support means in that aspect oh absolutely and it's also like when you are saying so many horrible things and doing so many horrible things in the name of the person that you are standing, it, it becomes like attached to them. So I think that creators often have to do a lot of like damage control because of the thing that their quote unquote fans are doing and saying in their name, even though they never supported it. And some creators, some artists, are much better about this than others like Dylan for example but when it comes to other creators like I can't think of any on the top of my head but they can ignore the problem or they don't right. say anything because they want the attention they like the attention and so it's just it's kind of a tricky tricky situation absolutely now that we've spoken about the relationships that stands have with the person that they're standing I think it's something that we should dive into is the relationships that stands have with each other, the interpersonal stand relationships. And obviously this is something that Ellie and I can speak to a lot, considering that we became friends through interstand relationships. Right. Um, and we have a lot of experience dealing with other stands and friendships we've formed from that. Like I still have a handful of people from Stan Twitter other than Ellie that I talk to. I mean, I talk to Ellie right. every single day, but there's a there's a good few that I'm I'm still distantly friends with even though it's been 6 years, you know. So right. I I think that there is something to these bonds of people, but I think I think it has to come I think it comes from the type of people that are drawn to Stan Twitter. Like Ellie said earlier, it's it's mainly social outcasts, and I don't mean that in a derogatory sense, saying that everyone on there is weird, but it's when you struggle to find connection with people that are like you in person, it makes sense that you're going to gravitate towards other people who are like you in an online space. Like That's why I think particularly marginalized groups or young people find themselves on Twitter for example, or even TikTok, I'm talking like neurodivergent people and queer people where you don't have that community necessarily in person a lot of the times. 
So you're trying to replicate that online and you may find a lot of people who are like you and who validate you in what you're going through. And I think I think that is important, but I think that there also needs to be the recognition that these are strangers. Yeah, there's definitely this sort of like really interesting dynamic in uh, in online spaces because it's it's not a parasocial relationship in that this person shares a lot about themselves and they don't know you at all. It's it's a very curated sort of relationship. Like you only share what you feel comfortable sharing, and there is something very there's something strange about that right because there's not if you're friends with people in real life things like your age your skin color your i don't know family background that's something that you can't hide that easily like that's sort of like physical characteristics and even like personal characteristics like family and relationships and friends like those those are much harder to hide in person than they are online and of course like you have catfish you have catfish everywhere but i think the problem not the problem but the the main aspect of 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 stand communities is less about catfishing and more about very very deliberate sharing so it's sort of like you think you know a person because you know oh they they said like maybe you had a conversation with them because you related on some mental health topic or you were talking about something with another queer person online and like you might think you really know this person because you're learning things that it feels like sh- like don't get shared in relationships that aren't close like that like you're not sharing like really personal inner struggles with people that you just met in person but oftentimes like i've had this experience i'll have you know i i I had conversations with people about really deep like personal struggles and like i i didn't know them you know like i knew again what they chose to show me but you think you know a person because they share this very personal thing with you but you might find out later on that they have like six brothers and it's like how do they not lose about you it's because they didn't tell you because they didn't have to it's a very it's a i don't know it's i don't i don't know how to describe it i think it's very interesting no it's a very very curated relationship and it's hard because there are so many people trauma bonding on these sites like i could the first conversation i could have with someone on stan twitter could be about mental illness and then we're bonded, like Ellie said, like we we're right. close now, but I don't know them. Like just because we have similar struggles, like that's a basis for a friendship. That's the foundation. But I can't know someone just because of one conversation we had where we seem similar because they're showing me a side of them that looks similar to the side that I'm showing them. And I think that's also where my discomfort came when I was on Stan Twitter, where everyone just said, I love you to each other, no matter who you were, no matter how long they knew you. It was just very quick, like, I love you, I love you, I love you. And that made me really uncomfortable, even when I was a teenager. Like, Ellie and I joined Stan Twitter when we were teenagers in high school. Like, we were minors when we got on here, which is kind of like the prime age for people to become stands from what I I recognized and for me it was definitely a safe space in a lot of ways I did find a community that I didn't have in person but that doesn't mean that it replaces the real community that I have with people that actually know me because 
you, if you don't know me, then how do you love me? It's right. It's it's like it's either a very shallow version of the word love, or you don't love me. You know what I mean? Right. There is a very interesting like how again how can you love someone if you don't know the entire. Mm, I don't know about the entirety, but, like, if you don't know certain things, like, if you're, if you're omitting certain things in a relationship with someone, whether that's for safety, like, I understand that safety online is a serious concern, you know, like, you're, you're sharing these things with people who, again, you don't know, but if you're omitting things, like, your age or, you know, I don't know, your, your, even your socioeconomic position, like that could definitely impact your relationships with people. And if you're omitting that for whatever reason, that's a huge portion of someone and not knowing that does really alter your relationship. No, it, it definitely does alter your relationship with the person that you're talking to um, online, because obviously like as someone who was on Stan Twitter at a young age, I do understand the allure of lying about things or omitting big things that have been problems with my IRL relationships, which we will get into in a moment. Um, IRL stands for in real life, if you don't know. But at the end of the day, you're bonding with people that you don't know because everything is just so curated. And when you have that anonymity, it's it's so much easier to lie about things or to omit things because there's no one holding you accountable except in the rare cases where we had like there were people in the Doty community that were stands and also IRL friends so like other than that having someone who's like no I know you in real life don't even lie about that online like anyone can say they are whoever they want to be and anyone can do whatever they want to do and yet these are still the relationships that when you're on stan twitter like you are dedicated you are devoted to these people like the second that you gain their trust and they gain yours like you would die for them Th those are things that people would say on, on stan twitter for each other like, right i would literally die for you like you right. don't know me and and because of that trauma bonding because of that love bombing I don't know if that's the correct way to say that because it's not directly malicious, but that is what it becomes. Right. Because of that, you have these f not always real relationships. Like, I don't want to say that you can never find someone online that you genuinely connect with. Like, Ellie and I are literally here proof that it can happen, but right. it's rarer than that. Your Your online best friend is not going to be your online best friend forever because... You, you don't know each other. Right. And it's sort of interesting that you have this group of, again, as we said earlier, often social outcasts, often neurodivergent, often just on the outskirts in, in one place. And I know as one of those people in high school, I was very much like my parents were always telling me, like, you'll find your people, you'll find your people, it's okay. Like, they're not going to be in this, like, really rural area that we're in which is I think another aspect like if you're in a, a a particularly isolated area you're going to be drawn to these online spaces but I was constantly told that and then when I was in a space where I felt like people enjoyed hearing the things that I had to say 
and uh, people enjoyed the things that I enjoyed was a really exciting thing. So it's, I think it's also, like you said, it's easy to overshare. It's easy to share stuff that maybe if you had thought about it a little bit more, you would, you would have sort of hesitated to share because you get sort of this rush of acceptance and you get this rush of like belonging that, you know, you don't know how true or real that is. And it's hard to really, it's hard to know something like that. Especially when you're young and you don't really have like, the neurological receptors to be able to differentiate between you know what's safe and what's not safe or what's good and what's not good and like I don't mean this in any way to say that young people are not smart enough to navigate these things young people are not you know they're like I was young I was doing these things and I know what it feels like to be told that I don't mean anything because I'm young that I I can't handle any of these things because I'm young So I don't mean to say that, you know, teenagers can't figure out right and wrong, but at the same time, they don't have the resources. They don't have the resources to be able to handle the sorts of things that they're handling. And when these people are trauma bonding, like they're talking about trauma. I, I know personally at 16 or 17, I was not equipped to deal with the sort of things that other people were telling me online. Right. Oh my God. Yeah. This is a trigger warning and content warning that the rest of the episode is going to be talking about death. So if this is something that you are not comfortable with, please click away now. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Speaking of resources, though, and not having the resources, I think these things are most visible when you see someone on Stan Twitter or stan in the stan community die and personally this is actually the reason that i stepped away from being a stan like i was already on the outskirts because i had been in college in that time and you know it's it's hard to kind of keep up with that life when you're not a teenager and you're trying to provide for yourself and you have a job and you have classes like all of that but i i had a i had a friend on Dodie stan twitter with us pass away and there were a lot of things that could have been avoidable about this death particularly if if the person who died had been talking to people who had adequate resources to support them through their struggles and through what was going on with them that nobody in their real life did and while it's important that we can be community for each other at the end of the day these people online are not your therapists and obviously i do know that therapy is is wildly unavailable for so many people but at the same time 16 year olds 15 year olds 17 year olds even 19 year olds none of these people are licensed counselors who are there to help with the levels of trauma that people are bringing to stand communities because oftentimes you're not going to be able to get into that level of obsession unless something happened. Not saying that everyone's traumatized, but there's definitely a level of escapism that Stan culture provides, especially when you are diving so head first into it. You, you're using it as an escape. And I think that there's often lots of trauma and mental illness involved in, in that. And so I think that's the hardest thing about 
being part of a community like that is that it doesn't hit you like how deep some of these things go and when you're the one having to shoulder the burden of someone's death as a teenager someone that you've never met in person like i actually had met this person once at a concert which is why it hit even harder for me um, we're not going to get into any more details other than that but like it it's so difficult to deal with it's it's heartbreaking to see that you know to realize that you aren't enough to help this person even though you want to be and there were so many people who cared for this person on twitter this person was wildly loved but at the end of the day like none of us were equipped with the proper mental health resources other than our own stories and for those of us who were lucky enough to have therapists like things that they said like to deal with to deal with significant and severe mental health issues absolutely there's this sort of they were they were i i would like to also emphasize that they were like a really lovely person they were super super supportive of everybody and just generally like a joy to talk to so this sort of like it, it i think it impacted uh our little corner of the community as well because there's this sort of gap and the knowledge that you're you can't help everybody as much as you might want to is really tough and I think what you said about resources is very significant, but I think also one of the more significant pieces of that inability to help is distance. And like, oftentimes you don't know this person's like personal address because that's, you know, that's the sort of thing we're told not to share online. And I think that's a very, I think that's valid and I think you shouldn't, but this sort of, the sort of mental health crisis that some people have and share with people on Stan Twitter, like it's sometimes it feels very, very dangerous and it feels very, very uh, right immediate. It feels very immediate. And if you're not in a position where you can call someone or, you know, go over and talk to them and like try to talk them down, like online spaces are, are great and they're wonderful for escapism. But at the end of the day, when it comes to an actual crisis, people in real life are far, far more, I, I don't want to say helpful, but well in equipped. a crisis. Yeah, it, exactly. Yeah, exactly. They're in real life. People are far more equipped to deal with um, real mental health crises. So it's resources, but it's also distance. No, I agree completely. And I think there's also this really weird phenomenon too that I experienced where people would say they were in a crisis and then disappear for hours at a time and then you would find out later that there was no crisis they were fine and you were just stressing over the fact that you couldn't save this person when they didn't need saving and like obviously I'm not saying that every person who approaches an online space seeking mental help mental health help is crying wolf but it's it gets to a point where it's really hard to distinguish between who is and who isn't and also how to help them when you're not in person there just becomes this like fear this blank fear of 
Will this person ever tweet again? Will this person ever post a video again? Is this the last time that I, I get to speak to them? You know? Right. And I think that this segues nicely into the second poem that we have for this episode, which is decidedly a bit more somber and talks about the things that we are talking about here. So uh, the second poem is An Online Friend Dies Somewhere Outside the Internet by Raul Fernandez. I'll leave this linked for anyone who would like to read it. And I will read now. An online friend dies somewhere outside the internet. Freezes, goes blue screen, shuts down. Dead pixel dark. Ghost echoes, lossy in the source code. Time zones away. People who have actually shaken hands with my online friend stand around a box of his remains. I'm left to click through data, two-dimensional and without decay, in multiple windows. Close all until I'm left by the one that renders birds, sky, and keep moving nothing to see here, clouds. Nothing to see here. I go for a walk to the edge of town, daydream a closed-loop whirlwind in a field of tall grass, cast a rock into the dark old sea. Well, that, that piece is, is heavy, but... yeah so real and like like we said this is an experience that we both lived um on stan twitter so i think that's also very prominent for us or very real for us as well right and i think the biggest thing that really stood out to me in that piece which it was beautifully written obviously it evoked feelings that i would rather not feel um in the best way But the thing that stood out to me the most is, like, people who shook hands. I don't remember the specific line, but people who shook hands with, like, my online friend are now gathered celebrating their life and mourning their death. When so many people who genuinely loved and cared about that person will never get the chance to do that because they were online. And like I said, like, before, I don't mean to knock online relationships because obviously they can be so deeply meaningful and I think this poem can show that too is like when you find that person that's so meaningful for you just having them go away one day just blankness emptiness and never getting the chance to shake hands with them laugh with them in person is really heartbreaking and how do you carry on and I think that's what this piece kind of tries to to grasp at how do you carry on after that absolutely and it's sort of this idea of uh no connection outside of this one point so like if you don't have a a physical connection outside of this one online account or this one online relationship like if you don't know people who know this person in real life it's really scary to just see an account like blink offline because you don't know if it's they just got tired of it or you know like it wasn't healthy for them anymore or if they're actually just gone because you only had a very finite thin connection to this person so i think there's something um something deeply vulnerable about online friendships like i i know that it might have sound like we knocked them a little bit but i genuinely there's something really unique about an online friendship and a friendship that is built on just pure vulnerability 
honestly. Absolutely. Because Stan Twitter in general is a very vulnerable place. It's a very raw place. And the relationships that you form there, whether or not they last, are equally as raw and vulnerable as I, uh, <laughs> as this one is. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah, I could not have said it better myself. Um, anything else you'd like to say? I don't think so. I think that's probably the best, uh, the best place to end that <laughs> is on a, is on a better note. And on that really somber note we're gonna end the podcast for today that's the end of our episode please just remember to take care of your mental health and reach out if you need anything absolutely but also remember to maintain your boundaries boundaries are important i think is probably one of the best takeaways from this episode keep your boundaries up absolutely that's all from us today, guys, on that very somber note. Uh, but please stay safe, stay cool during this obnoxious heat wave. Wear your masks. Wear your fucking and masks. Please wear your mask. Just please. And um, have a great rest of your day. We'll see you next week.